Hello world, welcome to the Colombian Catwoman podcast, aka Jeanette. It's been a while, but it's time to share the next chapter of the Colombian Catwoman podcast. So please subscribe and share. Let everybody know what's going on and uh, let everybody enjoy the journey. I hope that you're well. We have this incredible year 2020 as a black woman as a black queer woman 2020 feels like it's been an empowering year and lots of huge things have gone on where we are seen um, and have a voice like never before and I'm really grateful to be part of this year of 2020 so thank you thank you thank you universe I've been thinking about my parents a lot recently So my mother was from Jamaica and left Jamaica when she was 14, moved to the UK and my father was from St. Kitts. My father was older than my mother, I think there was about 19 years age difference between the two of them and they met in the UK. Um, But I've just been thinking about them a lot and I want to continue to pay homage to what they did, to the struggles that they faced, to the things that they taught us. To the elders that came before us that showed us the way as black people living in a hostile world and there are many many lessons to be learned and that journey never ends so big up mum and dad thank you for the foundation today i'd like to talk about how i became the colombian catwoman but this is part one because the journey is long <laughs> So I've talked about leaving Dubai in 2016 and I was adamant that I wanted to go to Colombia and I decided to go to Cartagena, which is on the Caribbean coast of Colombia. And the reason that I wanted to go there was because the food resembled the food that I was used to, minus the spices. The people looked like me, I looked like them. The weather was hot, the skies are blue, the seas warm. Great ingredients for um, a happy life, maybe, maybe. My intention um, before I even got to Colombia was to go there, build a business, start a yoga retreat for the LGBT community, find a wife, the love of my life and adopt kids. None of it really happened like that, but that's part of the journey we call life. So one of the good things about Colombia back then, I think that the rules have changed slightly because they've had such a huge influx of foreigners, is that it was really, really easy to get my visa and sponsor myself and go through that process. So I went to Colombia on a tourist visa. I then sought out um, a way to get a visa for myself, sponsor myself. So I set up a... um, I can't remember how to say so it's like um, a cooperative, you could say. It's not a cooperative in English, I can't think of the term, but um, a society, you could say, a business society, not quite the term in English, um, which meant that I could have a number of different businesses under the same umbrella and I was able to work and study if I wanted to and sponsor myself. So that was quite an easy process. I say that I had to register the business at the Chamber of Commerce. 
I then had to get an accountant to verify that the paperwork was legit and the funds were available um, and then send that paperwork off to the foreign office in Bogota and then wait for my visa to be returned with a yay or a nay as a response. So that was quite easy the first time around and I'm, and I'm you know, really happy for that. I then put the feelers out um, to find a lawyer to help me with the adoption process. I mean, I've just rocked up in the country. I know very little about the country and I'm already ready to adopt a child. Yeah, shit doesn't really happen like that. But in my world, it did. <laughs> so I put the feelers out and, uh, and, in, and a lawyer came round to my home. We chatted, I, I interviewed her and she seemed to know what she was talking about. That's Colombia. Everybody can do everything because everything equals, you know, a bit of food on the table. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do it. I know what I'm doing. I've done it before. I can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me just tell you about this social worker. Um, she didn't really know what she was doing. And she kind of gave me some paperwork that I needed. And I went to Bogota, to the capital. So from Cartagena to Bogota, that's, you know, a trek we're talking about from the, the Caribbean coast to the Andes in, in the centre of the country. And um, when I got there, I went to the social services office and I was told that I'm, like, story of my life, I'm in no woman's land, which is, you're a foreigner living in Colombia, you're not a resident, so you can't adopt a child as a resident because you don't have residency status, and you can't adopt a child as an international person because you're not living elsewhere, you're in a kind of an in-between status. And so she didn't know that, and that could have saved me a journey and lots of headache and money wasted or spent, depends on how you look at it. Bogotá's a cool city, um, but, you know, I didn't want to go there to get some bad news. <laughs> there are other things I could have done in the city. Um, but at least it clarified my situation and helped me to understand where I was at and what the options were and, and put an end to that dream pretty quickly, actually of adopting Colombian children. Whilst there are many Colombian kids available for adoption um, for a number of reasons, you can imagine, it, it just wasn't a possibility for me um, under my particular circumstances, which was an international person living legally in the country, running a, a legit business, but not resident not a permanent resident and not an international adoption living in another country. So I just had to kind of get over that blow and continue to move on. That journey back from Colombia, from Bogota rather, back to the Cartagena, I don't know why, but I thought let me try and save some money and get a coach back. <laughs> let me get a coach back to Cartagena. And um, it was the worst experience of my life. It was a 20-hour coach journey from Bogota to Cartagena and everything that could have happened, happened. So there was like a mini strike at the bus station before we left. The bus driver didn't want to go, I think, or something. And people were like, you know, striking as they do and uh, creating a bit of a... <laughs> 
a bit of a, a, a ruckus and then I can't remember exactly but we had to leave somebody at the side um, they they couldn't get on or they had to get off or somebody was drinking and then when we're on the journey people were singing and all sorts of crazy business was going on the journey and then I was like talking to the woman next to me and talking to people in front of us and that journey was fucking hard work. It was great seeing the scenery because Colombia is so diverse. So driving from Bogota up to Cartagena, you can imagine all of the scenic journeys and routes and roads that one would see along the way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my legs felt dead. My body felt <laughs> why on earth did I do that for to save what, 20 quid or something? Um, do a 20-hour coach journey from Cartagena, from Bogotá to Cartagena. Never, ever again. But another lesson learnt, roads seen that weren't previously seen and the journey continues. So I wanted to build a property, buy a property, buy some land. I wanted to set up the yoga retreat. But I was out looking for clothes and what came to me was to create a clothing line because there weren't many clothes available for plus size women, even though they were on the Caribbean coast and the clothes that were available were pretty crappy to be fair. So that's where La Gran Angela came from, which was a clothing line in honor of my mother, the, the great Angela, the big Angela, uh, yeah, the powerful Angela, La Gran Angela. And that was an incredible journey. It wasn't successful financially, but creating a clothing line from scratch, designing my uh, care labels, the, the font that I wanted to be used, sourcing the material, going to Barranquilla to source the material. I went to the fashion show in Medellin. I was part of the, the Chamber of Commerce um, Dressmakers Association. And so we used to meet like once a month and talk about different things. It, it was just a beautiful journey, designing clothes, finding items online that were designed for smaller people and then altering them, changing them and making them and putting whatever buttons and designs and sourcing dressmakers to make the things. And, and that was challenging like anything, anywhere. But it's challenging in a country where there are kind of no rules as well to do things. So I managed to find a dressmaker I was in a shop trying on clothes, trying on plus size clothes and I asked somebody if they knew of a dressmaker because that's what you can do in, in countries like Colombia, you can't do that in, in Europe. But she said, oh, my auntie's got a, uh, um, a taller in English, my auntie's got a dressmaking business, so can I have a number? She gave me the number, that's, that's how it works in, in, you know, in parts of the world, in most parts of the world, it's about the, the, the hookup. She gave me her aunt's number, she contacted her aunt and then it was arranged for me to go down to the aunt, speak to her and we spoke and she took me on as a new client, me and all of my demands. And she was really, really good at what she did but she had a lot of work on and that's what happened in life with good people. And as they say, if you want something doing in life, find a busy person. <laughs> Um, and so eventually she said that she couldn't continue with my work because she was overwhelmed with the work that she had and she wanted to do it right and she couldn't find um, more staff because that's also a problem when you've got people that aren't necessarily trained or dedicated or aren't as good as you when you're running a business. So um, I then had to try and find another dressmaker. But 
What I will say about designing the clothing line, we were making clothes without any mould, which is like crazy. Um, so I didn't have exact measurements for the items. I just knew what I wanted and what I wanted it to look like. But when I went to the second dressmaker or the third dressmaker, that was the second one in Cartona, she was a bit of a thief and shite at, at what she did for me. But she had industrial contracts with hotels and stuff like that. And so I know that she was doing the right thing for them, but she just wasn't treating me properly. And that's not me personally, but me as a foreigner, as a newbie, um, maybe not a particularly big account. And she made one of the items and it was like a size 12. And I'm like, this is not right. This is, You have to do this again. And she was arguing and telling me that it's right and this and that and the sizing. And then I made one of her employees try it on. Said, make that, you know, ask her to try it on. Um, she tried it on and she could barely fit into it herself and she was tiny. So I'm like, how the fuck's that supposed to be a size 18? Do it again. Um, doesn't sound good saying it like that, but you have to, in a country like that's a fighting country, you have to stand up for yourself and you have to make people know that you're not going to take shit. But saying that, there's a time and a place for everything and it's not everyone that you can do that with, especially not in a country like Colombia. That's another story to come. So I loved designing the clothes. I loved sourcing the material. I loved being on the ground, sourcing dressmakers, sourcing styles um, and creating the website. And I just felt like I had a really good eye for it. I'd never done anything like that before in my life. I was the model for my clothing line. And so we were out in Cartagena, the photographer myself, who was the web designer and taking photos of the, the garments and designing the web page and, you know, to my specifications, my sizing, my specifications, my colour, everything was the way that I wanted it. And that says a lot about me. <laughs> but that's because my eyes were better than the, the website designer's eyes. He would do things maybe because he was a man, maybe because he was Latin American, I don't know, but things didn't look good, didn't look professional, didn't work in particular ways. And I had to say, this is your fucking job. You should know better than I do that that doesn't look good, that needs to be changed, that needs to be moved over there, X, Y, Z. Um, and in the end, we got a really good result with the website, so I'm really happy with it. And I've never done anything like that, so building a website, designing clothes, getting them made... Um, connecting the website to the online store, setting up a business, Chamber of Commerce. I mean, all of this stuff I've never, ever done in English, never mind in a developing country on my own in the Caribbean part of a developing country. But it just felt so incredible and I felt so alive doing it. But there were so many stories that I just used to share with my friend Lamine <laughs> things that should have happened, that didn't happen, that did happen, that shouldn't have happened. Um, and maybe I'll remember some of those today, but <laughs> Cartagena was a trip. So Cartagena's as Colombia, um, as many, many countries in the world, full of lots of divide, full of lots of inequality. And of course, it's the black people at the bottom of the pile. And the lighter you are, the better you are the better you're perceived and received. So the more European you may be or may have roots um, close to Europe. So I could pass. Not that it was an intentional um, way of being. I could pass for a Colombian woman. 
until I opened my mouth. And I remember the one day I got in the taxi and I didn't say anything or just said where I wanted to go. And then the taxi driver started to talk to me and then I said something back and he's like, you're not Colombian. And I'm like, I didn't say I was. (laughs) And he was like really offended, like I was playing some imposter, an imposter Colombian woman because I'm black and I'm fat and I wear colourful clothes and a head wrap. Yeah, I've been doing that shit for a, a little while. But <laughs> I just remember that time and people would think that I was Colombian sometimes and then, you know, they could say that she's a, an imposter, she's a foreigner. But yeah, that was cool. It was incredible setting up a business online for the first time in my life like that, a real business. But it was a business that was too advanced for the country, for the time. And it's the kind of country where you have to have connections, everything because of the country's history, you have to have people to hook you up. So it would have worked if I'd have had a group of friends who like the kind of old fashioned Mary Kay parties, the Avon parties, your friends come round to your house, you sell them your products, they go away you get a commission or something like that. If I'd have tried that kind of model, getting people to sell it, then that would have worked. But as a foreigner, um, an outsider, web page, all online. So we're talking about people who don't really have bank accounts, people who don't really have credit cards, people who don't really have the time to sit on the internet, people who don't have um, smartphones. All of those things were against the business model that I created but doesn't mean that it was wrong it was just the wrong time or and in the wrong location if I'd have set that business up and if I'd have chosen to work in Medellin or Bogota or even Cali then that business would have been more successful Um, but I didn't want to live in those cities I wanted to suffer on the Caribbean coast or I just wanted to be in live in the Caribbean I mean who the fuck doesn't want to live in the Caribbean why would I want to live in a big city for so that I can go to an art gallery and drink coffee or I could just chill and and walk around but everything's got its pros and cons every every single thing naturally the pace of life the opportunities the people that you meet are all limited in a smaller place Um, and also because it's a transient place when you live in a tourist resort and that's what Cartagena is known as so it's known as the jewel in the crown it's where a lot of cruise ships dock. It's the only port, I think, in in C- Colombia, a tourist port. There are other ports, but that's for cargo and all the rest of it. So it's, you know, it's big business, big money, but it's all transient. It's all tourism. Um, so with that comes lots of problems. I um, have to say that Colombia's like no other place in so many different ways the people are so friendly so kind so honest um and so servile that's the culture that I found and if I ever I ask somebody where can I get this done where can I get that done who do you know anybody that can do this people would always help people always tell me where to go if I was on the bus and I needed to get off on a particular street or at a particular street the whole bus would join in and tell them, you know, no, it's not that stop. No, it's after this one. No, it's not. I mean, I remember that so vividly. One time, you know, going to an unknown neighbourhood and to look for a new dressmaker, actually, it was at the time. And the whole bus just kind of got involved in this. And that's how things are. So many times that that happened. Um, but also at the same time, you just never know who you're dealing with. And there's, a, a, you know, a couple of stories that I'll share in the next part about 
those experiences, the lawyer, the business, the, the shoemaker, a few stories there that I'll share next time. I'm a, a practicing Buddhist, a bit weak in my practice, but I am a practicing Buddhist of Nichiren Daishonin Buddhism. And it's something that's really, really helped me over the years. And everywhere that I go in the world, I always make sure that I, I touch base with Buddhists and I attend the meetings and so on. But Colombia was just just like the country because of its history. The, the Buddhist practice was so disjointed. And maybe people will say, I shouldn't talk badly. I shouldn't talk about the Buddhism, how it's practiced there. And you have to adapt to the country. This is what you're told. But it was just like, even even the headquarters, there was infighting at the, the, the HQ level. I mean, the HQ level, I'd never come across that anywhere, not in Dubai, not in uh, Cuba, not in Mexico, not in uh, the UK. I, I can't remember where else. I've, I've, at Nepal, I went to Nepal. Um, I've, I've never seen it anywhere in the practice where there's infighting and that people can't move the practice forward and it can't grow and there's so much distrust and who knows what it is but yeah just not what it's supposed to be but that's Colombia and that's to do with the history of the country and there were so many things that I remember somebody saying to me it's just you know it's very folklore (laughs) that's like that's the term that a friend used to say it's all very folklore the things that happen or another term is it's a bit Macondo, and that's from Gabriel Garcia Marquez, a famous author who wrote 100 Years of Solitude, Cien Años de Soledad. It's all Macondo that, you know, it's like an, it, it can only happen in Colombia, it can only happen in Cartagena. And he lived in Cartagena, he wasn't born there, but he lived in Cartagena and loved that city. Um, but yeah, Macondo or folklore, you, you can imagine what we're talking about there. Um, really, really grateful to Mr. David, Mr. Jorge Palomeque, who I met in Cartagena. In life, you meet a few people and these people just get you and you get them. And you can do the simplest of things, get a cup of coffee, get a cup of tea, water, but you just get each other. And he's one of those people. And I'm really, really grateful to have him in my life. I said to him, I need uh, this, I need that, I need this, I need a photographer, I need an account, and I need this, that. And he just, bip, gave me the, the names of people, people that you could trust, because that's also a big thing in Colombia. Are they, can you trust them? Is the confianza, is the confianza, you know, because of the history of the country, can you trust them? Can they be trusted? Do you know them? Can you vouch for them? That's the way that everything's done there. And he just hooked me up with the web designer, hooked me up with the accountant, hooked me up with, uh, I think, a new lawyer. And it was just like, just made a huge difference just having that support. But more than that, he's a good person, a good friend. And we used to just get together and laugh. And he just so reminds me of my friend, I mean. And um, quite coincidentally, they're in the same part of the world at the moment. So I hope that they managed to catch up for a cup of coffee. I used to um, crave the LGBT community when I was in Colombia and and so that didn't help my mental health. Doesn't mean that there isn't uh, an LGBT community there. So Cartagena is quite liberal and you will definitely see lots of open gay guys and there there are a couple of gay clubs in Cartagena and I went to one a couple of times. 
but it was so male oriented it was just full of guys and it just like everywhere in the fucking world guys are just making sure that they're looking after themselves and i think the women are at home fucking frying deep fried bananas or something but um yeah it was it was just not great it, it wasn't great so what i also used to do was attend the um colombia diversa so that that's a uh, an ONG, a, a non-governmental organisation, and they support the LGBT community, but it's more from a, a political stance and um, a reform stance. So they're looking to change the the policies and so on, and and fight for the rights of the LGBTQ community there. But these meetings were sometimes a little bit overwhelming because it would be about the number of. Uh, members of the, the, the queer community that had been killed and that had been pamphleted and that weren't safe. Um, when they turned to the police for help and support, the police then abused them again, didn't support them, violated them. And so these criminals lived in impunity and um, anonymity and the, the, the murders that were committed against the queer community just went kind of un, un, not unnoticed necessarily, but without conviction. They were just, people were just free to do whatever they wanted to the queer community and they knew it. So that became a bit much actually attending those meetings and being part of that. But that is where I met Jorge Palameki at one of those meetings. And so I'm grateful for that because He's a very politically minded person and a really smart guy and we have great times. So Cartagena has got the, the, the wealthy part, the, the wall part of the city, which is beautiful with its colourful houses and the beautiful balconies. And then it's got the poor part of the city, which is where all the indigenous people live and, and those indigenous people are, are black and brown. And that's because of the history of the Caribbean coast of Colombia, in, in particular of Cartagena. And there's extreme poverty there, really, really extreme poverty. But like lots of parts of the world, there's a lot of gentrification going on where outsiders, foreigners are coming in, buying properties and or um, moving people off their land. And so the local indigenous community are no longer able to live in the neighbourhoods where they were born and their grandparents were born. They're being moved out to further afield with limited resources and like what happens with gentrification being priced out of their neighbourhood. I um, was sharing a flat in, in a really affluent part of the, the city in El Laguito and I was sharing a flat with an Italian girl the days of sharing homes with people are long gone, let me tell you that one. She was young, she was pretty fit, she was very driven, knew herself pretty well, came from a bit of a well-to-do family, she was there on a scholarship. And she adopted a big dog, Huracan, and this dog was a cross between a Weimarang and a Labrador. And I'd never had a pet before, so as a black person, we don't have pets. They aren't part of our life. That's not how I grew up. And um, Gina Yashere used to do a sketch some years ago about black people with pets and 
And I know that people won't find it funny, but it's, it was the truth back in the day that black people would just, you know, kind of kill the pet and put it in the bin and try to shove it in the bin. And I remember watching Jeannie Asheray live somewhere doing that sketch and it was just like, it's how we used to think, it's how we were brought up. And so I spent time with Huracan and enjoyed having a pet in my life and and this new experience. And so then I thought that maybe I want a dog for myself after I moved out from that property. And I started to look around and um, put the word out that I was looking to maybe adopt a dog. And uh, I met a couple, but I wasn't feeling them. And I don't know whether they were feeling me, but I just definitely wasn't feeling them. So then I, I said it to somebody that I knew. I used to go to these dance classes and I said to her, you know, I'm thinking about getting a pet. She was like, oh, our cat's got some kittens. You know, people are, are, are quite careless with their pets in poor countries. Um, so I said, okay. And I went over and they chased him down and I, and I took him away with me. And that's, as, as, that's really how I became the Colombian Catwoman. That was part one. That's how I got my maxi. So, folks, that's it from me today, from the Colombian Catwoman, a.k.a. Jeanette. So that's Cartagena de las Indias, Colombia, part one. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, share this podcast with all and sundry. Look after yourselves during these crazy, beautiful, brilliant, enlightening times and peace out world.